This podcast is brought to you by Nesta, the UK's Innovation Foundation, and was recorded at Futurefest, our weekend festival of ideas. Data, rights, and responsibilities. This is the Futurefest podcast. I'm Emily Elias, and this time we're looking at the flow of information in the future. On this episode, Edward Snowden stops by via Google Hangout to talk government surveillance. There needs to be a process involved. It needs to be uh, public and it needs to be challengeable in court at all times. Plus, a panel of experts dissect Snowden's conversation. And software developer Dan Williams shares a creative use of CCTV. I no longer have to carry a camera. What I do instead is I go to tourist landmarks and I just stand there in front of the CCTV and I request the photos of me afterwards. So all that to come, but first, one of the biggest headliners at FutureFest was former CIA employee and current international fugitive Edward Snowden. And when I say biggest, I mean literally biggest. He joined FutureFest via Google Hangout on a massive eight-foot-tall television screen. During his appearance, Nesta's chief executive, Jeff Mulgan, asked Edward Snowden if we can justify mass surveillance. If democratic governments did the things you're asking them to do, restored trust, abided by their laws, were open about their, their processes, that in that situation, they should still have the power and the right to intervene and with surveillance on any individual's communication, so long as there is due cause in terms of suspicion of crime or terrorism. So I'm not, uh, I'm not exactly the best person to provide a radical perspective uh, on this because I, I worked for the federal government for almost the entirety of my career. So I tend to be fairly conservative on this and and say that, yes, I think it's reasonable that the government, when it has a warrant from a court, uh, you know, when it's uh, exposed to scrutiny by a legal process uh, that would be upheld not just nationally, but internationally uh, as a reliable and robust standard of rights protection, that they, you know, they, they can enjoy extraordinary powers. This is no different from having the police uh, able to get a warrant to go and search your house, to kick in your door, uh, because they think you're an arms dealer or something like that. There needs to be a process involved, it needs to be uh, public, and it needs to be challengeable in court at all times. Uh, However, governments cannot require individuals, they cannot require the public uh, as a body, and they cannot require corporations to make investigation and law enforcement easy for them in a liberal society. In liberal societies, we don't typically uh, require citizens to rearrange their activities, their lives, uh, the way they go about their business to make it easy for the police to do their work. You know, when uh, the police officers knock on your door with a warrant, they don't expect you to give them a tour. Uh, it's supposed to be an adversarial process so that it's used in, uh, you know, these extraordinary powers are applied only when there's no alternative. Uh, only when they're absolutely necessary and only when they're proportionate to the threat faced by these individuals. 
The debate didn't stop there, as Future Fest curator Pat Kane sat down with Primavera de Filippi, a scholar at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard Law School, and Ian Brown, professor of information, security, and privacy at the Oxford Internet Institute at Oxford University, to reflect on Snowden's response. This is a reasonable man. Or at least he's puts himself on a, on a conservative end of a radical spectrum, which says, you know, we have to, there's necessary tensions in terms of the relationship between the individual and the state, the adversarial relationship is necessary. This is, this sounds as if it could come from a, a senior judge or a senior legal expert in a major university. What do you think? Yeah, so um, I think there is, like, obviously, surveyors, one justified, it makes sense. Uh, it has to be according to the rule of law, and this implies due process and proportionality. And I think most people would agree with that. Um, the problem, I think, is when we come to mass surveillance, then I think we should be focusing perhaps like on, on a different question in the sense that it is not really whether mass surveillance is justified, but it's more about is it okay to actually have an infrastructure which allows for this kind of like bulk collection, right? And um, so the problem is that actually the change of the infrastructure is also changing the rules of the game. So um, before the police actually had to go through the investigation and track criminals and whatnot, uh, now basically you just have to go and grab the logs, right? Um, so, to some extent, we have like this kind of ubiquitous surveillance because we have like the CCTV cameras, we have the online logs, and the, the, the corporation online provider are basically providing the surveillance for the governmental agencies. And so, we have ubiquity, we have uh, automatic surveillance, and I think the most big change is that we have retroactive surveillance in the mm. sense that everything is stored and then the police or governmental agency can come and grab the information whenever they need to, right? And so the thing is that, in fact, we, like, we people, we actually also support this kind of surveillance because this provides us with more customized or more personalized services. So, you know, we all have our GPS-enabled device. Which we like, which we enjoy. We have our yeah, quantified yeah. self yeah. stuff. We have the Internet of Things that is like, yeah. you know. So everything is actually starting to leave traces, right? And so I think we really have to start focusing on, like, the architecture, the infrastructure. And I think in order to actually resolve this issue, we have to push the infrastructure towards, like, make it more expensive to create this yes. mass surveillance. And mm. this, in, this entails decentralization, and this mm. entails more encryption. But what's really interesting, and I come to Ian on this, is that we've, we've been dealing with a dominant myth about the connected society uh, and, and, and om, you know, om, omni-world connectivity as, a, as a, an unarguable idea of the wired society. And here he's essentially going back to very standard legal arguments that actually, in the face of this incredibly accelerated mega panoptical machine, he's throwing sand in the gears. He's saying due process. I mean, there's something for all that we are at Future Fest, but and there's something very, very classic about this, isn't there? And, and again, it's something that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks have said is, is really important in their mission to, to by making, by making uh, government radically transparent to, to again, that's precisely the, the concept Assange talks about, throwing sand in the gears. I think I, I agree 
strongly with Primavera, I think targeted surveillance is one thing. I think what far more people are concerned about is this uh, potential um, to do very large-scale uh, data mining and data analysis on people's online activities. And even if today the government agencies will say, well, look, we're only picking up a tiny fraction of these communications, very carefully targeted, the worry is that the architecture makes it very cheap to do yeah. much more easily, much more frequently in future. For more Edward Snowden, there's a full video of the conversation with him from his secret location in Moscow up on the Nesta website. That's nesta.org.uk. Now, when it comes to surveillance, software developer Dan Williams has another set of worries, and those aren't the ones coming from the government watching, but his concerns are over what private companies are learning from our behavior. He took to the stage at FutureFest to share what he's learned about CCTV and what we should be afraid of. It's the future where algorithms analyze our face for characteristics, which seems a very uh, beardy, vague, nerdy future to be afraid of. So I'll tell you the story of how I came to believe that this future would be a problem. A while ago, I was on a bus, a very slow bus journey between Bristol and London. I was very, very bored. And so I did what you do when you're bored on the bus. I picked up the leaflet from the seat in front of me and I read it. And in it, it said, National Express present you with great amenities on this bus service. You have reclining seats, air conditioning, power sockets, and CCTV. And I looked up, and there was the camera pointed directly at my face. I thought, I'm going to make the most of this amenity. Under the Data Protection Act of 1998, you can perform what is called a subject access request. The subject access request lets you as an individual request any personally identifiable data about yourself from a company, which includes CCTV footage. So I thought, do you know when you go to Disneyland and you go on a ride and that they take a photograph of you halfway through the ride? I thought I'd do the same for my coach journey. I sent them a very polite letter requesting the footage and then they sent me this back. This is me at 5 a.m., barely awake on a National Express coach. My favorite thing about this is that they are required under law to blur the faces of everyone else there. And since the bus is operated by South Gloucestershire Bus and Coach Company, who aren't experts at face blurring, what they did was they printed the photo out and then felt tip penned over everyone else's face and then sent it to me. This is brilliant because I no longer have to carry a camera. What I do instead is I go to tourist landmarks and I just stand there in front of the CCTV and I request the photos of me afterwards. <laughs> Like, I've turned the Data Protection Act into my selfie stick. <laughs> but this means I spend a lot of time paying attention to where these cameras are. And luckily, most of them are, like, up and slightly to the left, what we used to call the MySpace angle, which is very flattering. And I was in Manchester recently, and I found a camera that was very unusual, one that I hadn't seen before. Uh, it was in a digital billboard. It was a billboard like this. You know, you'd look at it on the street, you wouldn't really notice much. But if you look really, really close, like, really, really, really close. There's a thing smaller than a postage stamp. There's four of them, four cameras on this billboard taking photographs of you. So I tracked down the owner of the billboard, and I said, could I get a copy of my photograph, please? And they said, no. So I said, pretty please, and here's a copy of the Data Protection Act that says that you have to do this. And they said, no, no, we don't take your photograph. And I said, what, what do you mean? They said, here, have a look at the terms and conditions and privacy policy for our billboard, which, like, I'm sure we all read the terms and conditions of all the billboards we walk past. And in it, it says, <laughs> 
we retain your photograph for only one second. And I thought, what, why only one second? What can you possibly do with a photograph in one second? And it turns out what they do is they analyze the face of anyone who's looking at the billboard to work out your age and gender so that they know who's looking at this advert. I thought, that's clever. I'm a software developer. What if I get a hold of this copy of this software and I try and do this? So I did. I got a hold of this piece of software that's called the Shaw Library by the Fraunhofer Institute, and I gave it a try. And what I realized is it doesn't just work out your age and gender. It works out what emotion is on your face currently. It tells you if you're like happy, if you're sad, if you're surprised. I thought, oof, let's work out how scientifically accurate this is. What I need is lots of photographs of the same person doing the same facial expression many times. Have you seen the Tumblr, Nick Clegg looking sad? It's hundreds of photos of Nick Clegg looking sad. So I put them all into this algorithm to make Nick Clegg looking algorithmically sad. And if you dig through it, like, his emotions vary. Like, he's a bit neutral sometimes. Sometimes it thinks he's happy, even when we know he's sad on the inside. Uh, his age fluctuates from, like, his 20s to his, like, 60s. Most of the time he's male, but 20% of the time he's female. And like of all the photographs I put in, like only once out of the 68 photographs it recognized a face in, did it think he was sad. So these algorithms, totally rubbish, completely unreliable, absolute nonsense. And that's not a huge problem because like it just means that some advertiser somewhere has got the wrong idea of who's looking at their ads. Not a major problem. Except they're not the only ones using this algorithm. This is an app called SceneTap. It's like Yelp, it's like Foursquare. What it does is it shows you bars nearby that you could go to in cities like Austin, Chicago, San Francisco, but it also shows you how busy those bars are, what the gender ratio in those bars are, and what the average ages of men and women in those bars are. The way they do it is they mount cameras above every entrance into a bar to look at which age and gender everyone entering the bar has. Essentially, they've built like a dating app that you can't opt out of. It's like an automatic Tinder for your face. And I read their patent for fun, which is something I do, uh, which is the apparatus and method to record customer demographics in a venue or similar facility using cameras, which is the catchiest slogan for a dating app I've encountered. It goes ahead and it says what they're going to do in the future. And what they're going to do in the future is they're going to look at a ratio of hair colors of customers, an approximate income level of customers, percentage of people with glasses and or facial hair, the kind of hipster index of a venue, general descriptions of clothing types and or general indicators of attractiveness. When I walk into a pub, there are already people analyzing me for general indicators of attractiveness. This is not a thing that needs to be automated. And so this, this is the future that I'm slightly against, because it, this isn't the top-down Edward Snowden government surveillance future. This is like the trickle-down surveillance future where people have access to the same surveillance technologies at commodity price. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Future Fest podcast, and also the end of this series of Future Fest podcasts. This podcast featured music by Broke for Free, Black Ant, and The Mesmerists. Future Fest is brought to you by Nesta, the independent innovation charity with a mission to help people and organizations bring great ideas to life. Please let us know what you think of this podcast, and of course, go and join the conversation by heading over to nesta.org.uk. And while you're there, check out some of the amazing videos from other speakers that took to the stage at Future Fest and find out even more information about the next Future Fest, the future Future Fest, if you will. 
I'm Emily Elias. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, see you in the future. Goodbye.